Um, If you have a Bible with you, turn to our gospel reading, the Gospel of Luke. If I haven't met you yet, my name's Wilson. I'm one of the deacons here at the church. Great to be with you. We are going to continue looking at... um, at parables this morning, but the parable we have this morning is a little bit different from the ones we've been looking at the past few weeks. So we've looked at the, the prodigal son and uh, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And in both of those, there are all these twists and turns in the story. Uh, and they're like these unexpected moments and people that are acting out of line with social convention. And so the people hearing these stories, once you understand what Jesus was saying, you understand they would have like gasped at different points or they would have laughed because something was funny or somebody would have raised an eyebrow because Jesus said something that sounded offensive to their ears. Um, This story has none of that. There's no twist in this story. Uh, Nobody would have giggled after this at any point. It, it, uh, nothing funny in here. There's no, uh, there's no irony. Um, it's just a really ordinary story about farming, the kind of thing that everybody listening to this thing would, would have seen a million times before. And on top of that, Jesus tells us exactly what it means afterwards. So it's a little different than the normal, the normal kind of stories that Jesus tells. And yet, it's one that Luke records and Matthew and Mark all record. So these three gospel writers, this story stuck out in such a way that they all felt it important to include it in their accounts. Um, So all that being said, even though it's a very ordinary story and all this kind of thing, we still have to paint the picture a little bit of what people would have heard and what they would have imagined when Jesus was telling the story of somebody going out and throwing their seed and it landing in these four different kind of places, right? Um, What we automatically imagine I think when we think of someone sowing seed is we imagine what we've seen, which are like, like if you think of a wheat field, we think of this big square of land, right? And then multiple squares, rectangles of land that are like acres big that go on into infinity. Um, In the Middle East in the first century, fields like that were, were more terraced. So the landscape was rocky and craggy. And so what people would do would, would be to build this terrace out of the rocky hillside. Um, and they would have maybe even brought in soil and put soil on top of this sort of terrace so that there's enough there so you can plow it and you can plant seed um, and do what you need to do, right? Um, So a sower would put the soil on the terrace, would plow the ground, would sow seed on that ground, and then would actually replow it, and it was called covering the seed, and that was the process. Uh, Second, your land wasn't necessarily right outside your back door, so often we think uh, we can think of farms, or at least I do. I don't know a ton. Um, we can think of like your, you've got your house, and then your field is right there, right? So everything's kind of right there for you. Um, in this scenario, your field was just among the other fields, and like you probably would have had to walk through somebody else's field in order to get to yours. And so there were these village paths that went through people's fields, and they were cleared out of everything. They were beaten down. Uh, the kind of hard paths that everybody recognized you don't plow on, right? You don't throw seed on there because if you did, then you can't get to where you need to go. Um, So what you would do when you're sowing seed is you would walk along a village path and you would sow your seed into your field, onto those terraces. This landscape, uh, this process of sowing is what people would have seen over and over and over again. And probably a lot of the people listening to Jesus had done this exact thing and had seen the exact results that he was talking about. 
So I would imagine Jesus, over the course of his life, walking through these village paths, right, time after time. And he observed, observed this ordinary work day after day, time and again. And as he did that, he was also reflecting on this kingdom message that he was going to bring. So Jesus started his ministry when he was about 30 years old. And so you have to imagine he was, he was marinating on this kingdom message for years in preparation. He picks up this, this ordinary scene and he observes how it actually illustrates a deep reality about the human heart and how the human heart intersects with the kingdom that is breaking into the world in him. So I want us to imagine Jesus like going on these daily walks, right? These familiar village paths day after day. And one day he sees the sowers out there sowing the seed, doing their thing, right? And he sees some seed uh, got thrown right along the path. So right next to the village path, maybe some of it landed on it. Um, and he observes maybe the next day that the, plow didn't, the, the field didn't get replowed all the way over to the path. And so the seeds are kind of just standing on top of the soil or are sitting on the path. And he notices that the birds just come by and, and eat those things. And he also looks and sees how some of, the, some of the seed was thrown into these areas of the terrace where not as much soil was able to make it on there. And so... He would notice a couple days later how a plant maybe started to pop up, um, but then it didn't have enough depth, and the sun came out and just scorched it, and it died. And then he would notice maybe in some other areas of the field, a plant started growing up, but so did these thorns that the farmer obviously had been cutting back and trying to root out, but alas, you know, you all have gardens. There they are again, year after year. And he would notice day after day that the plant's growing up, but so are the thorns, and eventually it's clear that the thorns just choke out the plant and no, no fruit ever comes to bear. And then all the while, on these daily walks, he, he looks and sees that in a lot of the field, a plant is growing up in good soil and eventually fruit comes out, just like the, far, the farmer had planned. At the same time, at the same time that we're imagining him just walking and observing these kind of things, he's marinating on this message about the kingdom of God. He's thinking about how the kingdom of God is about to break onto the world scene like never before in him. He's thinking about the message that he's going to teach in town after town. That the kingdom, that his life-giving work will be different from what anybody expects of it. And some people are going to come face to face with that and are going to turn away. He's almost certainly thinking uh, that others are going to be surprised by this kingdom but they'll feel like life just fell into their lap and they'll cling on to it for dear life. And they'll realize it's the only thing that's really worthwhile to turn to. He's marinating about these things. And the, sl the result of Jesus' slow stewing on these things, observing this farming scene, thinking about the kingdom, is the parable that we have today. It's an ordinary story that Jesus takes and fills with utter significance things that we ignore to our eternal missing out in this life and forever. Without Jesus, your deepest needs and longings will remain a secret hidden from you. Without Jesus, your fundamental purpose and your identity will remain a secret that you cannot unlock. And this parable speaks to that. Two things it's going to show us today. First, shows us that Jesus reveals the secrets that we desperately seek to know. 
And second, because of that, we have a responsibility for how we hear. So first, Jesus reveals the secrets we desperately need to know. Second, we've got a responsibility for how we hear these secrets. So first, Jesus reveals the secrets we desperately seek. This is verses 9 through 10. So Jesus gives this ordinary parable of the sower, and then um, the disciples ask him what this might mean. So, uh, so it's sort of like if, um, if I say we're having bagels after the service, and then I tell you this story about how some will eat a bagel plain, and then some will dip their bagel in coffee like it's a donut. Others will just throw the bagel away, and then others will spread cream cheese on the bagel. <laughs> he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then... Um, so the disciple, we trust you enough, Jesus, to know that you have, you're saying something, we just don't know what. Um, and so he says in verse 10, to you, it's been, to you it's been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables. That, and he quotes Isaiah, seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Jesus reveals the secrets and some will know them, while for others they'll remain hidden. What's going on? Those who attach themselves to Jesus are given access to the deepest secrets of the human heart, questions of your purpose, your deepest longings in life, your identity. And without Jesus, we cannot access those things because those questions are too big for you to figure out on your own. Only God can speak to the fundamental issues of the human heart. Why? Because he fashioned the questions within you. And only he provides the answers. In Greek, the word for secrets, the secrets of the kingdom, is mysteria, right? You can hear mystery. Mysteries are things that are veiled, things that are hidden, that somebody must unveil and somebody must unhide. It's only in being a disciple of Jesus, that is, committing to him and committing to his way, that what is secret is unlocked. Um, For one, Jesus is teaching. He says this, he packages his teaching in parables, which are these ordinary little stories that a world that's too busy or thinks it's foolish that something deeply true could be found in them just passes them by. I'd imagine plenty in the crowds kind of hear this story and you're like, hmm, that was strange, and go on about the day, right? Even more than that, uh, Jesus himself is kind of a walking parable, right? The purpose and the power of God hidden within this blue-collar worker who lived in a backwater town at a particular time and at a particular place in history. Many look at this and scoff. It's, a, it's absurd that God would be here. It's absurd that he would do something so particular in some time and place, right? And Jesus recognizes this dynamic, and he quotes Isaiah. For some, the secrets are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and, and hearing they may not understand. For many, the kingdom of God is hidden in ordinariness and is veiled in these little stories and is veiled in Jesus himself. And a busy and important world passes it all by. And God, in the meantime, does not shout or lift up his voice. Yet, just like science has revealed that the power of the sun is locked within an ordinary atom, so the power of God and the purpose of God is locked in this ordinary-looking person, Jesus, and his ordinary-looking stories about a farmer throwing seeds around. That's why the, the disciples of Jesus have been, uh, have been given the secrets of the kingdom. It's not because Jesus has favorites. 
is because disciples live their lives alongside of him. And they learn to do what he does. They learn to think the way that he thinks and learn to see the world the way he sees it. They discover what he's asking of them by listening and by being sensitive to him. And they submit to it. And it's like a sail opening to the wind. And maybe most of all, they experience his forgiveness. They experience his peace and his joy and his love. In short, the secret of the kingdom works its way into every fiber of a disciple's life. The, like, the secret of the kingdom is not an esoteric thing that you have to be religiously inclined or like some sort of wise sage to understand. It's life working its way into a person's life. But without that attachment to Jesus, all of this remains hidden, and you're left to search for it in places where it will never be found. And I realize this is a foolish thing to say in this day. You might think you can find your own purpose and you can make your own identity and you can pursue, you can capture your dreams. And if so, there's a good chance that Jesus won't really shout you down. Uh, C.S. Lewis in the Screwtape Letters um, has this awesome passage kind of to this effect. If, you, if you're not familiar with Screwtape Letters, it's about um, this senior demon. Uh, it's written from the perspective of the senior demon writing to his nephew, who's like a, who's like a demon in training. Um, and so he writes, he writes this. This is the senior demon speaking. You must have often wondered why the enemy, who's God, does not make more use of his power to be sensibly present to human souls in any degree he chooses and at any moment. But merely to override a human will, as his felt presence in any but the faintest and most mitigated degree would certainly do, would be for him useless. He cannot ravish. He can only woo. For his ennoble idea is to eat the cake and have it. The creatures are to be one with him and yet themselves. Merely to cancel them or assimilate them will not serve. The kingdom of God is revealed in the form of a seed, easily overlooked easily ignored or scoffed at. It's easy to be too busy or distracted to bother. But I wonder if there's anyone here who is brave enough to be honest and to say you don't really feel like you're living an abundant life or you're getting tired of the next strategy for self-improvement, like some diet or some new work-life balance or something that you can buy, all things that are fine, all things that fade away fast. Or someone who can be honest and feel like their heart is shrinking and is becoming more and more narrow in their self-love and wonders what it might feel like for their heart to expand and love something great and love other people. If so, Jesus offers the secret. He and no one else. Will you become somebody who understands the most critical secrets? Or will you be someone whose very life is a secret hidden from you in parables? Will you, will you put off Jesus with excuses that now is just not the right time? Or you, will you stay unwilling to deal directly with God because you have doubts? Right? Every, every, uh, every genuine believer has doubts. But they can be something to hide behind. Are there treasures you won't give up even though you already know from experience that they don't satisfy you. If so, there is an invitation that's waiting for you, and it's this. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at your hand. Repent and believe. That's first. Jesus reveals the secrets, 
nobody else. Second, because Jesus reveals those secrets, we've got a responsibility for how we hear. And this is, uh, this is his interpretation of the parable, right? Verses 11 through 15. One thing that's easily overlooked in this parable uh, is how, how sadness hangs over it. So given what we've just said, that Jesus reveals the most crucial secrets of what it means to be human, purpose, identity, longing, those kind of questions, and that he scatters the secrets around like seed on the ground, like just scatters them liberally around. Yet, for so many reasons, people will never hear it. There are so many reasons why those secrets will never be unlocked and will never be heard. Everybody has eyes that were made to see these things. Everybody has ears that were made to hear the deep things of life and of love and of joy, the deep things of God. But so often, no matter who you are, we don't hear them and we don't see them. And so many people never do. Uh, I used to imagine that Jesus was telling this story in sort of a standoffish manner. So I would, I would read this and, and sort of hear this disdain in, in Jesus's voice. Like, I'm preaching the word, and these people won't hear for this reason, and these people won't hear for this, and these people won't hear for this reason. Kind of this, like, removed from the problem. Now that I know Jesus better, I'm realizing that he's telling this story with grief. Jesus explains first that the seed is the word of God. It's his message about the power and purpose of God that's found in him, God's kingdom, what we're made for. And he's spreading this message liberally. This message has now been spread from coast to coast, all over the world. That's historical fact. But four things happen when this message hits the human heart. One, sometimes a message hits a hard heart. It's like seed falling along a path, and the seed just lays there. And it doesn't really sink in anywhere. It doesn't lodge in the heart. It doesn't get turned around and around in the mind. Whether it's chronic busyness or self-importance, the heart's just hard and unyielding and won't consider it. Nothing can grow there. And on top of that, Jesus tells us that there is an enemy. There is a force or, there is an, or an aim that is against the purposes and aim of God. And that force will come in and devour it. It'll devour Jesus' life-giving word, and that's the end. Second, the message can fall in a heart that's, uh, that's only willing to go so far. It's like a seed falling in that area of the terrace where the rock is poking through and the, and the, the soil is shallow, and it pops up for a second, but, but it gets scorched. This gospel stuff, this uh, Jesus' message, Jesus was, this was exciting at first, right? But it just doesn't work for me. It's great it works for you. It's not really working for me. There are a lot of demands, right? You associate with these people that are like, aren't they all hypocrites? Isn't, isn't this message backwards? There was something that was growing for a time, but it got scorched when either a trial that was external or an internal trial comes, comes upon it. Third, the message can fall on a divided heart. It's like seeds uh, that are thrown in an area of the soil where there's thorns and the plant grows up, but so do the thorns and they choke it. Something else has final allegiance. Something else stands at the center of somebody's heart that has them revolving around it day and night. Something is in somebody's heart that is demanding the awful price of their life. And it's not Jesus. It's not the maker and giver of life. See, Jesus tells these scenarios with grief in his voice. He's not red in the face 
This is the Jesus who wept over his city, Jerusalem, after they wouldn't listen and wouldn't listen and time was up. It's the same Jesus. And then sometimes the seed falls in good soil. It falls into a heart that's ready to receive it and cling to it for dear life because it recognizes it as the ultimate good. You see, Jesus is a master interpreter of the human heart. And so this scenario plays out again and again in real life. And we see it played out again and again in the Gospels themselves. So the scribes and Pharisees, hard hearts, they see and hear wonders again and again. They hear grace and grace upon grace, and and yet it's like they never see. It's like they never hear. Or the crowds who flock to Jesus. You can especially see this in John. They're excited. This exciting thing is going on. There's miracles and crazy signs happening, and they flock to Jesus. And then when Jesus says something offensive or something that is really difficult to understand or rubs the wrong way, they're out. And it's the 12 disciples that are left standing there. Shallow, shallow soil. Or the rich man who ran up to Jesus and fell at his feet and asked what he had to do, but somehow, after that interaction, ends up going home empty-handed to his riches and not in the company of Jesus. It got, the plant got choked out by thorns that were in there. But for every single one of these stories, there's a story of someone who found that a great secret landed in their lap and they clung to it for dear life because they recognized that life was there. They'd never heard or seen anything like it before. People who were desperate enough or sick enough or crazy enough, people who were dead when Jesus happened to walk by their town, people who were loved enough by their friends and family that their friends and family came and begged Jesus on their behalf, or people that were hungry enough for a rabbi to come and, and do life with them and show them what life was really about. Or people that were so hungry for forgiveness and they looked at the cross and they saw it there once and for all. Jesus is throwing this message out everywhere. Will you receive it and hold fast? A couple of verses later, Jesus gives another couple of little parables, but really he's just finishing off what he's talking about here. And he says this to the disciples as kind of a parting, parting shot. Take, then, take care then how you hear. Take care then how you hear. Take a look at your own heart and just see what's there. Because the seed is falling in your lap. If you take a hard look, you probably won't leave just lazily assuming that it's all good soil in there, right? Even if you do love and follow Jesus, look at the terraced field of your own heart. Who can read this story and look within and not see hardness there? that's not willing to yield? Who can read this and not see their own faint-hearted, shallow soil that loves to follow Jesus when the sun is shining? But when something sticky comes or all comfort disappears, they get spooked. I'm sure that Peter, the night that he denied Jesus in his moment of need, felt like he was some, his heart was some pretty shallow soil and like the plant that had gotten planted there just got scorched. And yet a couple days later, under Jesus' tender hand, he's good soil again, and the plant yields a hundredfold. Who doesn't look into their own heart and see the thorns of entertainment and pleasure and all the stuff we're anxious about and caught up in all the time, and our self-love and self-obsession competing with the plant that Jesus put there? I look inside and I see all this stuff. 
If you're a follower of Jesus, maybe you can give yourself a little grace and see some good soil there and see that Jesus really planted a plant that's growing and that's bearing fruit and is going to bear fruit more and more because he's faithful. But don't leave without looking. Jesus is throwing the key to understanding the deepest questions that you harbor in your lap. His voice is heard. It still speaks today. He loves you. He offers you his life. Take care then how you hear. Let's pray.